I was singing Creep by Radiohead, but I was singing it as Arnold. When you're here before, I couldn't look you in the eye. You're just like an angel. Your skin makes me cry. <laughs> you're so f***ing special. I wish I was special, but I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't belong here. There you go. Thank you. Good night. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spitaro, and I am joined by my ever-present co-host, Dr. Bill Robinson. <laughs> and we are joined by Mr. Luke Giaconetti, who eagerly jumped into Scott's seat. Welcome aboard again, Luke. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know, uh, I, I said before, I am guest talent, and I put talent in quotation marks for legal purposes. <laughs> Yeah, I think DeMonto Corp requires that we use that term. Yeah, usually when they say talent and then I'm listed before it, there's a question mark after that. (laughs) Talent. Talent. But we decided that, like any good podcasting hosts, uh, we might as well just take advantage of Luke's good nature and make him do the book this week. Thanks, Luke. No, no problem. You know what? Uh, you know, I, I, I work in the uh, um, engineering industry, so I'm used to people taking advantage of me and getting all the credit for it. That comes part and parcel with being a professional engineer. Uh, so, uh, and that it, sucks that, because you're the guy that gets the trains there on time, right? Oh, sorry. I, yeah, well, you know, that after, I passed my, well, after I passed my professional engineer's exam, they did give me the hat. So, Ooh. <laughs> they gave me the shovel. Start shoveling coal, buddy. What? Yeah. They gave me a box of good and plenty. I got a rock. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I wasted all my night trick-or-treats with, with waiting for some stupid pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> so, sp- speaking of, of Halloween night, uh, on Halloween weekend, they had what I was totally unaware of was uh, kind of like the half-year mark uh, free comic book day thing. They yes, call it, I think, uh, Comic com- Fest. Comic uh, Halloween Comic Fest. Yes. I was totally unaware that that was a thing. Uh, yeah, 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 that's been yeah. My LCS has been doing stuff like like that. I was yeah. I said that that's been going on for at least a few years because I get my comics mail order through uh, DCBS uh, Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, for those interested in checking it out. And uh, because they use the full previews catalog, uh, you can order anything in the previews catalog. So you actually can order. The little bundles of the uh, of the mini comics for trick or treats, or you can get the single issues of the full size comics. So uh, I actually do. Uh, I try to do every year to have comics on hand for kids that want a comic, either with the candy or in, if, if they're you know kids. There are certain kids you see. They call it the um, what do they call it? Like the teal pumpkin or whatever thing, where for kids that have uh, food allergies or such and can't have candy, you oh. have an alternate. 
there, so I always try to have the comics. Um, this year we had some leftover from last year and some new ones. We did um, one of the new ones was Mickey's Inferno, and I swear I'm not making this up. It's a Mickey Mouse story, the first chapter of it from the like 1956 or so, where Mickey and Pluto, excuse me, Mickey and Goofy are doing a performance of Dante's Inferno, and then they get hypnotized and think they actually are Dante and Virgil. So they they make the trip into hell. They make the trip through into hell. Yes, it's, it's, it's like <laughs> it, it's astounding. I, I was reading this and I'm like, huh. <laughs> and uh, we also had a uh, <clears throat> Grimace Island, which is by uh, Artie Franco, uh, or excuse me, Art Art Artie and Franco, um, Art Baltazar and Franco Aurelian, uh, guys who did Tiny Titans and Itty Bitty Hellboy and all yeah comics. And then the other book is... I know a guy who can uh, get that autographed for you. (laughs) So do I, yeah. So, uh... Just if anybody hasn't been paying attention, uh, Luke's brother Jason is actually very close friends with, uh, Franco. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, then the other one was, uh, James Cole at, uh, James James Kolchaka's, uh, Johnny Boo. It was Johnny Boo and the Pumpkin Tiger was the one this year, so... Uh, there's there, there's some good stuff. There's some there's always some cute stuff. There's always a good amount a good amount of like all ages type stuff. Kind of the same stuff you'd find on Free Comic Book Day, but um, usually either um, you know uh, horror themed or you know spooky Halloween themed stuff. So Mickey's Inferno was. I mean, I was just so. I mean, I, I was reading this the day after Halloween, and I'm like, you know, it's like I bet you the kids who took this because it had Mickey Mouse on the cover are not going to get it. And the kids who refused it because it had Mickey Mouse on the cover would probably have liked it. So, but that's, yeah. that sounds great. I mean, it just... Oh, yeah. You know, that's, I wish I got that for, for Halloween. <laughs> or like it was stupid candy. Yeah. I got a rock. Yeah, so, yeah. Bill, you remember the store we went to uh, when, we, when we did the shop hopping? There was that first small store where they had... Uh, they had the back. They had, they had they had the back issues broken up. Like they had the boxes with Bronze Age bush books in them. Right, that was the one that he had more downstairs, but couldn't really get to it. Or exactly. Something. So I went yeah. there for the Halloween Comic Fest, and the ones that were downstairs he had brought up, and those were quarter. Ah. Those were quarter boxes, and I probably bought about, I'd say maybe thirty-five to forty quarter books from them that day. Mm. Why is there no quarter box places around here? This I have a tough, uh, tough, tough time finding quarter boxes. I even have a tough time finding dollar boxes with older books. Yeah, dollar I, boxes is about the best I can do. I can locally. find dollar boxes with stuff from the last ten years, but you know, with with Bronze Age stuff, it's nearly impossible to find. Here in here in the upstate of South Carolina, we have a few comic shops. I, actually, the two in Greenville are about a block away from each other. So that's that's kind of strange. Uh, we we have a decent amount of, of dollar bins, but with with you know stuff going into the late seventies, early eighties, and, and through on, um, especially nineties stuff. But uh, you know it's it's yeah. There I I haven't seen a quarter bin. The last quarter bin I saw was actually I was on a, uh, I, I traveled to um, the metropolis of Decatur, Alabama, quite a bit for work. And uh, up in Huntsville, there was a comic shop called Deep. I think it was was called, and they had. They had 25 cent bins, 50 cent bins, and dollar bins. All kind of, you know, they had a lot of this. It's a real big one. One of these ones that has way too much floor space, so they got every comic they have out at some point, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I did I did some shopping there, but that that was one. I don't know. It was it was odd because it was almost like stepping into a time warp, just going back like 10 years. Because 
after I, I went after dinner one night, so it's like seven o'clock, and it I'm the only I'm the only customer in there. There's six guys in there. I'm assuming two of them were working, and the other ones were just like the flunkies and hangers on. And um and and again, if anybody who who is you know a a patron of the deep or or what or an employee or whatnot is listening to this, I don't mean this as anything but a constructive criticism. But their conversation that was carried on at a very loud and uh, you know a, you know penetrating volume about you know the their various um, misogynistic sexual exploits was I thought inappropriate for a comic shop in 2015. Mm. You know, to the point where it's like I'm listening to this while I'm digging through pulling out books, and it's like yeah, I've got a big stack of Arion Lord of Atlantis here for 25 cents a piece. It's like I want to get these, but do I want to sit here and listen to this garbage anymore? You know. So yeah. just again, just constructive criticism. If you're in retail, you know, your customer is king. If you have to have a ridiculous conversation, either keep it to yourself, do it on your in the break room or wait until the store is empty and then have your ridiculous conversation. Now, I, I can't say much because I did end up buying the comics, but I got to say I did put a quite a large amount of them back. Um, so be that as it may. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not here in the upstate of South Carolina, you'll you'll find uh you know, more normal comic shops, but unfortunately no quarter bins. So, yeah. And, I, and like I said, I'm not necessarily looking for quarter bins per se, because I am generally looking for bronze age stuff. And I don't expect to find much of that in the quarter price range. So, but I'm, I'm willing to go into the dollar or $2 bins for stuff. I've generally found myself searching out a lot of stuff that is that era, but not necessarily high demand. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been getting things like uh, a couple of issues of the uh, Astonishing Tales run, the Amazing Adventures run, Marvel Premiere, Marvel Spotlight, things like that. But I'm looking, you know, again, in the dollar to two dollar range. Uh, right. You know, I, ha- I have my want list, which is ridiculously comprehensive. Like the, the my want list actually lists Spider-Man number one because like I'm going <laughs> to find that in a dollar bin somewhere. But you never know. But but it's like, well, if I'm putting down the issues of Spider-Man I need, I might as well put down the issues of Spider-Man I need. I don't have number okay. one. Right, exactly. It's it's like it's like the old New York Lotto commercials, you know. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I... Hey, you still, never know. I, dollar in a dream. I, I still bother to write down those four Avengers books I need, but, you know, yeah, four, four of them. That's yeah. all I need. But, four! Four. I, I, I hear you, Bill, because you know me. I'm, 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 I think I've kind of... Um, you know, I, my my tastes are very eclectic. So there's always odd books I'm looking for. I'll, I'll never forget back in, jeez, uh, I think 2009 or so at Heroes Con, I was I was excited as all hell because I found a guy that had a full run of DC's Beowulf and DC's six issue run of Tor by Joe Kubert for a dollar a piece. And I mean, I was like, holy crap! I bet you know, because you could you could say it's it's stuff from that era, but it's not necessarily stuff in high demand. So it's, excuse me, relatively hard to find, let alone find cheap, just because mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of it. And there's not a lot of, you know, it's not superhero stuff. A lot of that, um, you know, does it doesn't get the same kind of play. You know, I mean, I, I love my war comics. So I'm always on the hunt for cheap war comics and stuff. And you'd be surprised what you can find kind of in, usually it's in their own bin. Uh, and, and you guys, may, maybe this is just me, but it's always been my experience. You go to uh, a big con like Heroes Con or, or something like that, and you'll have, they'll have all the books and maybe they'll say like Marvel and you know, A to A to B and C or whatever, and then they'll have DCs, and then they'll have a box that just says War, <laughs> and a box that just says Western. You know, at the end of the table. You know, this is War. Like, what is it good know? for? 
Yeah. What is Absolutely a good war? Nothing. Wait, well, Marvel had a book called War is Hell. I mean, that puts it yep. right in the title, you know. But, uh, um, but that, actually, that, that's an interesting segue uh, because the book that I brought tonight is one of these ones that I found out about and then always kind of had them in the back. Like, I'd like to find this, but I don't want to go on eBay and pay 10 bucks for it, you know. And I did eventually find it uh, at my, my LCS uh, Borderlands in Greenville, South Carolina. For many years, I've had their very creatively named Big Annual Sale. And the big annual sale is almost always the Saturday before the Super Bowl. And all of their dollar bins traditionally became 33-cent bins. Um, the, a new owner took over the shop a couple of years ago, and now the, the dollar bins become quarter bins during the big annual sale. Mm. So I was able to find this book. It was the first book I pulled out um, of the of the bins that particular sale. And I was just like, I was like, a, I was just elated to get this book in, in good shape for cheap. And the book I'm talking about, uh, unless there's any other preamble that we need to do housekeeping or anything, Paul. No, you go, you run with it. Okay. Well, the book I, I'm getting is uh, Target Number One from Atlas Comics, Atlas Seaboard. If you uh, want to be really, uh, you know, specific about it. Now, I previously on this show I had brought um, Weird Suspense featuring the Tarantula Number One from Atlas, and that was another book that I pulled out of the 33 cent bins uh, years before at um, at Borderlands, and that was the first Atlas Seaboard book I had ever seen. I, I had known the name. Atlas Seaboard, but this being um, this book being cover dated March of 1975, released on or about December 31st, 1974. Uh, hat tip to uh, Mike at uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, DCIndexes.com. This was before my time, being born in 1980. So I, I knew of Atlas Seaboard, but I didn't know anything about them. So finding Weird Suspense number one kind of led me down the very, very small, it's not even a rabbit hole, it's more like a gopher hole of Atlas Comics, because there's only so much information that you need to know. And the site atlasarchives.com, which is a fantastic uh, resource that I've plugged on here before, uh, Paul, when you and Scott Gardner talked about um, Iron Jaw right. uh, a couple of uh, months back. So I went on there and, and, you know, Atlas, because they were trying to be they were trying to be Marvel, essentially. So they put out books in all sorts of genres. And one of the books that was that one of their launch titles was Target. And it was it was this hard boiled cop on the edge, you know, man out for revenge, um, men's adventure type story. And um, so uh, when, as soon as I saw this, I said, oh, I have got to have this. So <laughs> well, right, and before out, you before you talk excited. about the book, I'm going to I want to clue everybody into the. Uh, to the website you gave us the link yes. to because it'll make it easier uh, if they know about it beforehand so this way they could actually see the stuff while, they, while you're doing your synopsis. There's a website that, that Luke gave us. It's called diversionsofthegroovykind.blogspot.com and then uh, from there it's slash 2012 slash 07 slash if you blinked you missed Target. <laughs> That's yeah. the article. I and Target, for reference, is T-A-R-G-I-T-T in classic 70s bad cop movie uh, lingo. And when I no. post this episode, I'm going to put a link to this page, this web page, actually on the, uh, the Back to the Bins page for this episode. So you can either find it by doing what, you know, by writing in what I just said, or you can just go to the Two True Freaks website and click on the link that I have on there. But this way, it actually has covers to several of the Target books, and then there's an article, but then the entire story from this issue is uh, is in here, page by page, scanned mm -hmm. for you to look at. Yeah, and, and uh, to give uh, full credit where credit is due, 
I was turned on to Divergence of the Groovy Kind actually by Scott Gardner. Uh, I don't remember what context it was, but there was some Bronze Age book that Scott was discussing here on Back to the Bins, and he name-dropped Divergence of the Groovy Kind, and that's how I found it. And there's quite a bit of Atlas stuff on that site if, if you're interested in poking around in that. So, uh, But get it, getting into it, uh, as I said, uh, cover dated of March 1975, on sale um, at very end of December 1974. Our cover is by Dick and um, has some great copy on it. It says, the word from the mob is out. Get on. Target. And we see uh, two uh, or three dudes with spear guns and wetsuits menacing our hero who is wearing the uh, the dark navy blue turtleneck, the, uh, the holster with his pistol. He has his other pistol drawn. He's wearing a pair of chinos and then the uh, nondescript uh, brown shoes because it's the 70s. And one of the men with spear guns says, you've had it now, Target. You're going down with the ship. And it says, Target tackles a vicious drug ring in the Boston Tea Party. And this was one of the things that first attracted me because I see that cover and it's like, oh man, that looks like a bad cop movie from the 70s. I That's just, it, it's fantastic. And like all the Atlas books, it's got the little bar across the top because again, we're trying to be Marvel. So it says Atlas Comics. And I love it that it also says all new, no reprint. Because <laughs> the first issue is usually one, a reprint. Yeah, usually reprints in your first issue, typically, you know. So... Uh, uh, so the, the uh, our, our interior art is not by Dick Giordano. Our creative team here, the plotter, is uh, John D'Agostino. The scripter, Richard Myers. Artist is uh, Howard Nostrand. And our editor is Jeff Roven. And my synopsis actually will come from the Atlas archives. And our story is called Boston Tea Party and goes a little something like this. John Target, special agent for the FBI, sees his wife and child off on a short vacation. The plane is barely airborne when it explodes, bursting into flames, killing everyone aboard. Mob boss Bert Manetti was aboard the plane, and someone wanted him eliminated. At the crash site, Target finds the remains of a Boston newspaper that was used to pad the bomb. Target is off to Boston to avenge his wife and daughter. As Target leaves the airport, an attempt is made on his life. His information leads him to a Boston University dormitory, where he makes quick work of the man who killed his family. By eliminating Manetti, he had hoped to become drug czar of Boston. Before leaving the apartment, Target discovers a list of mob contacts. Target then makes his way to Haymarket Square, where several mob hitmen attempt to eliminate him. The FBI arrives at the scene and a massive gun battle ensues. After overcoming the mob assassins, Target uncovers documents concerning a large drug shipment due to arrive at Mystic Seaport in Connecticut. Defying his FBI boss, Carl, he heads for Mystic Seaport. He battles his way aboard the vessel containing the drug shipment. As a helicopter tries to make a getaway with the drug shipment, Target unleashes a barrage of machine gun fire, destroying the helicopter and the drugs within. And that's basically our story. This is uh, not the most um, creative, you know, tale. As I said, it's very much a uh, man, you know, gun-toting, cop on the edge, wanting revenge for the people that killed his family. But it, it's just so damn earnest. <laughs> <laughs> It struck me as, hey, it seems like the Punisher is popular. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we get oh, our yeah, own or, Punisher? Dirty Harry. Yeah. Very much in the in the you know Dirty Harry, Death Wish, Punisher, you know, that type of that type of mold for sure. Um, the the other thing that really struck the thing that really stands out to me about this book is the artwork because uh, Howard Nostrand he was a guy I'm not I'm, I'm not sure if he was a he was a, um, a Will Eisner guy. You know, he was one of Eisner's boys. So the artwork kind of ranges from 
what you'd expect, kind of that Eisner, that sort of uh, minimalist, fairly clean look, but then sometimes just veers a hard left into downright cartoonish. And, and it's, it's, it's such a poor fit when it gets real cartoony for the very, you know, hard-boiled, violent sort of uh, nature of the story that the juxtaposition of those two things is uh, it, it's amusing more than anything else. It, it, I like the, uh, you know, kind of the mix of the, uh, you know, the, like I said, the, the almost animation-like kind of uh, simplicity of the lines with then the, the violent content of what's going on in the story itself. What did, what did you guys think? I had noticed that as I was going through it here on the web page, the very first page of the story, uh, like the way his wife is drawn in the third panel, or even the way they're both drawn in the fourth panel, it almost looked like a 1950s love story comic. Yeah. You know, very like you said, very simplistic, very uh, two-dimensional. And then you get a little further into it, and it almost seems like once you get to the next page the double page spread with the explosion and all, it almost seems like it has a little bit of like a Howard Chaykin kind of look at some points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it it is very inconsistent in that regard, but it's not inconsistent in that it goes from good to bad or, the, or vice versa. It's inconsistent in that the style just keeps seeming to change throughout it. Mm-hmm. And as you said, it's a little jarring at some points, but not so much that it makes you not want to read it or anything. Did you, did you uh, kind of catch that, Bill? Yeah, it does. Like, there's a couple, like, one that kind of, uh, the, I guess, the dirty hippie. <laughs> yeah. That he throws the, that he throws the knife into his, his back. When he's, I guess he's punching him there at, at, at the end on page six. I, it, it looks like the way that the guy's drawn, it looks very realistic or, or very, um, like, the pain that the guy looks like he's in looks really realistic. As he's then, saying, yelp. Yeah, well, but still. Eh. But then, <laughs> just, just say. But then the other guy, the way he's drawn Target, the way he's drawn, he just doesn't look as, as clean or, or as realistic looking. And then the next page with the with the main bad guy at the, the bottom of page seven, he looks downright idiotic where he's holding that gun yeah. up. That, pick, that just kind of like pulled me out. But like the two shots prior to that, it looks pretty good, pretty menacing, and then he's like, the, the two shots prior, it's, again, it's almost like the style keeps shifting. Like, I yeah. could see that being Jim Aparo. Yeah. Yeah, with, with all the shadow and everything on the faces, very much Aparo. And then we get to the, you know, that last panel, and that could be, I don't know, maybe Don Heck. No, no, <laughs> no. I'm not sure. I, I can't quite place that one. But the style, stylistically, it looks like he just keeps shifting. I don't know if it's intentional that he was trying to send some sort of a thematic message or something in the way he was stylizing it or if he just didn't have the professionalism to have settled into a style mm. yeah. I, I guess it's it's it almost it with all the expressions on the people's faces it almost reminds me a bit of like um stan drake you know his uh, his comic strip work if, uh, if you ever if, you, if anyone ever gets a chance and you find them I would strongly recommend the series Glamour Puss by Dave Sim, where Sim, he goes like a whole history of the photorealistic style of Stan Drake and the other uh, artists uh, from that era who were working in the comic strips and the influences that that had on uh, the guys that would come up in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s doing uh, comic book work. But the way the emphasis on, on 
expressions and faces and all that. And yeah, it is it is weirdly inconsistent in that sense because it's not like I said, there were Atlas books where you'd have three or four artists working on the book just to get it out, but this was not one of them. Hmm. I mean, even when you uh, after the um, the page after the one Bill was talking about, where Target gets his hand on the guy down at the bottom, the last three panels there, it looks almost like an Archie book. You know, yeah, it's yeah, so it's very... simplistic. And the the girl walking with her violin case, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and the dumb on her face, like, huh, you know, it almost could be like a teen humor book. Who who's <laughs> credited with the inking in this, Luke? No one. Is it possible that this is a many hands inking job? Because that could it, explain yeah. the inconsistencies in style. It it could be. The only credit we have is artist for Howard Nostrin. So I'm not. Um, I'm gonna look at Nostrin's uh, other credit. He doesn't have a lot of credits. Uh, Nostrand actually did a lot of work for Cracked magazine, which is kind of odd when you think about this. This does kind of look like that. Um, mm. Yeah, he, I'm trying, he's mostly just credited as artist and inker. So I think he may have done his own inks, but it could be a many hand situation. Certainly, it was certainly not unheard of at uh, at uh, at Atlas for sure. I like in, even, in that page you were just talking about where it kind of looks like Archie in style. In the yeah. middle panel, there's the John Lennon. Uh, <laughs> Insert from the White Album <laughs> hanging on the wall. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that's what listening to the Beatles will make you do. It'll make you blow up planes to take over the uh, Boston drug ring. I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, that was their message, wasn't it? Violent revolution. So. But <laughs> and then on the next page, he's hanging through the door, you know, and I'm not sure how that works without your neck snapping, but he's hanging through the door and the girl sees it. And then in panel four, She's just, eek, help, fuzz, help. I, it's so ridiculous. Eep, help, fuzz. <laughs> Eep, up, orc, uh-uh. That's how I say I love you. But <laughs> the, the but really, the one that is... Wasn't that Elroy's that, Code? Well, that, that was that, was that Elroy's Code, or was that the, the song that Judy had with that other... with that? I believe, uh, I believe it was Elroy's Code, was, and then Jet Screamer turned it into a song. Yes, Jet Screamer, that's it. Who was actually George Jetson, right? No. It, didn't he have to portray him? Didn't he have to? Yeah. He might. He, he might have had to fill in for him at one point, but. Or maybe I'm getting the Flintstones and the Jetsons confused. The Flintstones is the one that's in the past. Got it right. <laughs> okay, man. I always that always throws me off. Dinosaurs, yeah, flying been, ships. Yeah. I mean, you must I have been really that. screwed when they did the Flintstones meet the Jetsons. Oh God. Oh. <laughs> I didn't think there was anything wrong, but. Uh... When they when they have the the gunfight at Haymarket Square and it's uh, it's page eleven, it's right in the middle. This is the one that is the most ridiculous and a grievous example of the mismatch of tone and art. When the guy who is it? What's this guy's name? It's um, uh, Alan Greenberg, killer extraordinary. He's a fat guy. He's wearing a black beret and he's wearing like a brown um, uh, uh, sport coat and kind of a rumpled white shirt and a thin black tie. And Target says, you've got an ugly pug there, pal. I think I'll rearrange it. And he sticks his the barrel of his gun right on his nose. And then the next panel is just a puff <laughs> of cloud that says, bam. Duck season. Rabbit season. <laughs> but he just he just blew a dude's face off in the middle of Haymarket Square in Boston. Bam. That's all you get. What the hell is this? I know this is my book, but I feel the need to ask, what the hell is going on with this? <laughs> I as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, I love this. This is great. I mean, that's yeah, just then, so that's so insane. Then at the bottom of the page, Patrick Stewart's pipe gets shot out of his mouth. Yes. 
And then it's this this gun. I mean, there there's bullets flying everywhere. Guys tumbling down. Uh, the next page, he's sitting behind the carton and he finds all of the uh, uh, the the documents showing. He's just kind of squatting down on his haunches. Target is as they're firing over his head. He's calmly reading the documents. And again, it looks like an Archie comic. Like yeah, like Jughead found something behind. You know. <laughs> And then on, on the next page, he tosses a grenade and blows two guys up, and it says Bluey, and it's showing fish flying everywhere. So, I mean, with Bluey, we've gone beyond Archie. We're into, like, you know, Uncle Scrooge type of comics here. <laughs> grenade! Oh. This page, you know? It should go, Husha! You know, it's a shush bomb from uh, um, Magic of the Spell. Now look at the tonal change again from page 13 to page 14, though. Yeah. It, it's I, I cannot believe that he inked his own work here. Just, just with the the stark contrast between these pages, yeah, I, I got to think somebody else was lending a hand. I, I would, I would think so. But this, it's, 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 it's schizophrenic, you know. I mean, uh, you know, like I said you go from this the sheer cartoonish to the very uh, kind of shadowy noir. On on page fifteen, we see Jackie, who is Carl's secretary, and she's, you know, she looks like a vamp straight out of any, uh, you know, any good any good film noir, you know. Mm-hmm. The, she's got the uh, the turtleneck dress with the bullet bra, you know, and the 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 hair falling down in front of her face and all that. Yeah. The... On that page, though, the in the middle, the one where the top of his face is in shadow, that is kind of that is kind that is a nice one there, but it's just, but is like the top of his head looks everything that's in shadow is in detail, but the lower half of his face is not as detailed. Yeah. It, well, which you know, makes that's... it look weird. It should be What's the opposite. I, well, you know, well, it, you know what I you know what I, I take that to be is with no like you shine a really bright light on something, it'll wash out the detail. Oh, okay, all right. That, it, it's almost like it's trying to be theatrical there a little bit. Mm. But um, but yeah, so but you know, we there's and then the whole sequence at the end here where he attacks the the boat and uh, you know this sequence and then at the very beginning with the uh, the two page spread of the uh, the the bomb going off on the uh, commercial flight. Are just really well done. And yeah, that is kind, would, kind of I, that was very uh, um, yeah because the page before that where you know you you know the kids are looking out the window by daddy and then there's the whoop over his shoulder and you turn and you've got the massive explosion coming out of the jet that was pretty uh, pretty good. Yeah, the only thing that kind of kills it for me is because of the era we don't have full bleed printing. So actually, I've got the book here in front of me. You open it up, and there's a you know an inch long gut or an inch wide gutter between the two halves of the plane, mm. because obviously they couldn't do the full bleed printing. So you know you can just kind of fold it a little bit, and it looks good. But uh, and uh, then like I said the sequence at the end looks like it. It you know it's uh, with him going through the uh, on the little um, the guys coming in on the the little mini sub, and then him attacking on the uh, you know coming in on the rowboat and just. Blasting people out, you know. Page seventeen looks like it could be from any issue of Human Target, or uh, oh, you, you pretty much yeah. need to be playing some 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 Bond fight music at James the end Bond of this. Music. Exactly, from, yeah. From 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 like the Sean Connery era. Yep. Yeah, I'm thinking of the undersea <laughs> sequence in <laughs> <and> Thunderball. <laughs> and then the the last page blowing up the uh, helicopter looks great, and then mm-hmm. the very simple 1970s ending, which I I really like as well. So. Um, as far the the other oddball thing about Target is that of the three issues that it existed, each one is radically different from the others. This one again, you know, uh, man man on the edge revenge story. The next one 
has him leaving the FBI, the FBI kind of going along with it and outfitting him with a bunch of gadgets and uh, high-tech weaponry. And then by the third one, he has taken the name Manstalker. So this had no idea what it wanted to be. This was very much indicative of some of the problems at Atlas. So to me, with this page here on the, you know, the last panel on page 20 saying the end, this could be the be-all and end-all of John Target, and I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> I, I have no desire to get the other two issues. I've read them. They are not good, and uh, they're not even as fun and, and crazy as this one. So this is it, as far as I'm concerned. You wrote it off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, I I, I kind of have a, uh, a love for the uh, Atlas books the same way you do, Luke. I, I, it's, for me, it's nostalgia, because I do remember when they were coming out. You know, for you, it's more, uh, you know, a little bit of a historical search, I guess. Yeah. But I, I just, you know, I, I realized that the company was, it, that the schizophrenic nature of this book is almost a microcosm of the schizophrenic nature of the company. Mm-hmm. You know, they were all over the map with what they were trying to put out, uh, the way they were trying to compete with Marvel, you know, the, the creators they were bringing in, and then the way they would change the focus of each book, you know, from issue to issue. So, you know, this 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 is almost like the whole thing all in one ball. But when I see these issues, I get a kick out of them. I, you know, this this is something where I'm always looking for these in the quarter bin. I don't think I'd be willing to pay any significant money for any of them. Yeah. Although I do understand that some of them are more rare and they're a little harder to find. Yes, um, the only ones that I've paid more than uh, you know thirty three cents for. Uh, there's only been uh, two of them. One of them was one of the magazines, which was Thrilling Adventure Stories, which was uh, kind of a uh, kind of a typical um, you know men's adventure black and white magazine. Um, there's only two issues of that. Number one, I paid a dollar for, and it's actually really quite good. It's got actually a very cool adaptation of Lawrence of Arabia in it. It's got some uh, some science fiction type stories. It's got a uh, Tiger Man, who was a character that Atlas had in their comics. A uh, more you know hardline story with him. It's uh, got some neat stuff. The second issue of Throwing Adventure Stories is fantastic. I've read a scan of it, I've, but it is one of the most rare of uh, of the Atlas published um, either comics or magazines. It's got a um, a story called The Temple of the Spider by Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson. That is just a fantastic sword and sorcery black and white story. Uh, Russ Heath did art on this. Alex Toth, John Severin. You know, so there's, there's some just beautiful black and white stuff on that book. Um, the only one, some of the other ones I've tracked down that are interesting to me is like um, The Scorpion. It was interesting that you mentioned uh, Howard Shaken. Shaken was doing his book The Scorpion, which was another non-superhero-y book. It was one that was, you know, uh, a typical Howard Shaken, you know, man with a gun and a, and a, you know, a babe on his arm kind of thing type of story. Those pulp type stories that Shaken is known for. Interesting thing about the Scorpion is that the Scorpion took place in the 30s. And what a, the Scorpion eventually became the character of Dominic Fortune. Right. So right. if you look at Dominic Fortune, the Scorpion mm-hmm. is clearly the prototype of him to the point that there are, there are I've read some, some theories where they're the same guy. That this is that the Scorpion was Dominic Fortune when Dominic Fortune was a young man. And now he's older and now he's, he's changed his name. But that's another one where it started out as, you know, this shaken, you know, pulp, uh, you know, babes and bullets type story. And then by the third one, it was a Spider-Man comic, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's Atlas Comics. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, this, it's, like I said, I, to me, it's a kind of a historical novelty, but it's, it's just, it's, 
it's a lot of fun because there's something that people just don't know a lot about. You know, um, Scott Gardner likes to talk about, and I like hearing about his desire to own all the comics featured at Walt Disney World because it's something that nobody else would have that type of collection. Uh, not that I'm not saying that no one else will have a full run of Atlas comics, but that's a goal of mine just because it's so atypical. And it's, I don't know, none of my comics reading friends in, you know, hunt down Atlas comics except for me kind of thing. So, you know, I'm the only guy's like, ooh, an issue with a cougar, you know, and I grab that. Uh, no, really well, I'm, I am a kindred spirit in that respect. I may not yeah. hunt them down as, uh, as energetically as you do, but I do, when I come across them, I, you know, I, it's something I will always put in the stack of quarter books that I'm buying. Absolutely. I would like to say that the book, The Cougar, it's not, it's, it's unfortunately not as awesome as that title might suggest. <laughs> Sorry. You know, like a, like a 45 year old superheroine on the prowl every night. No, it's not what it is. <laughs> as cool as that would be. That's not it. Uh, it's about a stunt man who turns into a werewolf or something basically like that. It got kids. He turns into a cougar. Oh, sorry. He well, turns into a 45 year old woman. Oh my God. Yes, he does. He turns into a, he turns into a lady prowling Applebee's on uh, you know, buy one, get one free cocktail night. <laughs> Just, just going into the Atlas books in general, you mentioned Tiger Man. Uh, that may have the lamest cover of almost any book ever. Number issue number one of Tiger Man. Let me let me grab the Atlas archives here. Tiger Man. It's just it has a really terrible logo. I can tell you that. Oh huh? yeah, that's a, yeah. It, it's it's that? got it's got a very unthreatening looking hero in Tiger Man. At least how, how he's drawn on that particular cover. And then there's a body on the ground, and I don't have it in front of me. I'm describing this from memory. And then there's there's a thug who's who's got the word balloon where he says, "Yeah, Tiger Man. So we killed your sister. What are you gonna do about it?" Something <laughs> along those lines. It's just so lame. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it's pretty bad. I'm I'm putting it in the chat right now because I've got the picture. I can get my thing to work here. here we yeah, go. I. I just found it. He looks like he looks like he's sad, Tiger Man. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> he just looks like you know, like I said, he's one of the most unthreatening heroes ever. Yeah. He, he looks he looks almost emaciated. <laughs> and yet I, I get a big kick a out of it. To, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. I said I just get a kick out of this cover when I see okay. it. I I have a bunch of covers in a folder. You know, the scans of a bunch of covers. So when my computer goes into sleep mode, it does a uh, slideshow of covers. Mm-hmm. And most of them are covers that I think are really, really good. But it's got this one in there as well, just because I get a kick out of it every time. It makes me laugh every time I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to give a shout-out to a uh, friend of the Two True Freaks Network, Mark Kallenbach. Uh, I won an auction for a couple of Atlas books from him, and he threw in a whole mess of other Atlas and uh, you know contemporary Bronze Age Marvel and DC books in there. Uh, so thank you very much to Mark Kalmbach for that because he hooked me up with um, I think it was some Sergeant uh, what was it um, one of the, he with one of the war books I think it was Blazing Battle Tales featuring mm-hmm. Sergeant Hawk. <laughs> well, Mark, Mark is Mark is awesome, strikers. no question. Yes. Well, you know while while we're on a Mark Mark tangent, uh, he sent me a while back just like out of the goodness of his heart, he sent me four DVDs. He sent me The Vikings with Kirk Ooh, Douglas and Kirk Tony Douglas, Curtis. Yeah. I have yep. that on VHS. He sent me Blood Alley with John Wayne and Lauren Bacall. Mm-hmm. Nice. He sent me the Wolf, the ex, the director's cut of Das Boot. Oh, you you know, um, I, can I just make an aside real quick? I know you're in an aside. Aside. That is, aside. An aside from the aside. The aside, the aside. This is a side side. 
that is the film I threaten my kids with all the time. Because <laughs> anytime they say, we want to watch a movie, and I say, okay, well, I'll pick. Director's Cut of Das Boot? And they go, no! <laughs> <laughs> and there Carry was two off. more items, two more items in, 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 the, in the stack of stuff. And that was, uh, I'll save the, well, these last two, I don't know which is the better of the two. So I'll just pick one at random. Uh, I got the Jingle Cat, the original world famous Jingle Cats Christmas oh. album. Here comes Santa Claus, spelled C L A W S. <laughs> and uh, and the and I now own and am a proud owner of the Arnold Schwarzenegger and Abigail Breslin masterpiece. Maggie, Maggie, <laughs> why are you turning into a zombie? <laughs> I'm trying to bite me. Stop biting me. <laughs> Stop biting me! Oh my god! Actually, it's not a bad movie. If you haven't seen it, I watched it on either Hulu or uh, or on Netflix, and it was it was it was it was a good it was a good performance for Arnold. It was yeah. good. I've heard good things about that, but uh, yeah. So Mark, Mark Kallenbach is a is a cool dude. So check out his stuff on eBay if you get the opportunity. He's he got a great score. I'm not sure if he sold them or not, but he scored. Like a huge, like twenty-two book collection of Tarzan books, wow. but with the with the painted covers, the Bantam edition paperbacks, they mm. were gorgeous. So I, if I had bought those, I probably just kept them, honestly. But uh, uh, that that's just no, that's just me. But so yeah, check check out Mark's stuff if you if you are, have not hooked up with him. As far as Target number one, and I have to say it like that, the word is out. Get on Target. Um, Stay on Target. Cover, I'm out there. I'm out there. Negative. Just impacted on the surface. But um, if Rogue One doesn't have somebody saying stay on target on it, I'm going to walk out of that theater disappointed. I'm just saying. But uh, just start killing Bothans and I'll tell you when to stop. Um, so target Manny number Bothans? one. If many Bothans, Bothans don't die, I'll be very disappointed. Well, that was the Return Bothans of the Jedi. Stole... Yeah, the Bothans stole the plans for the second Death Star, not the first one. I don't care. I want them to kill Bothans. You just wanted to kill Bothans. I agree with that. Well, they're kind of it. dickheads in in, uh, in the in the extended yeah. universe. Well, there was yeah. one guy that was kind of a dickhead. Yeah, but, but well, I'm trying to. I think it was. I think that was from Penny Arcade, where it was like, I assume many Bothans died for this. Actually, no, we just captured them. And he's like, well, just start killing Bothans, and I'll tell you when to stop. <laughs> but um, so the the cover, as I said, by by Dick Giordano. I really like this cover. This was what drew me to the, the uh, book in the first place when I was reading about it on um, on the Atlas Archives. It's a great, it looks like it could be, you know, the cover to a, um, an adventure uh, book, like a paperback type thing or something like that. It's, uh, it, it, to me, if, if the interiors had looked like this, this book might have gone in a different direction. But I really like it. So the, to me, the cover, it, I don't think any Atlas covers are truly iconic, so I can't give it an A, but I'm going to give it a B plus because I really do like this cover. Um the interior art is hard for me to grade because, like we've discussed, it's very inconsistent with itself. Its style is all over the place. But that being said, as I'm flipping through it, it brings a smile to my face. I like it, and I like the fact that it is, for the most part, leaning more towards the simplistic, almost cartoony-type look, uh, which is such a, a, a strange um, choice for this book that I really enjoy it. I mean... Just little, and the little character bits that stand out. Bill, the one you mentioned of the guy, the would-be assassin getting punched in his, uh, dis, in, uh, in the, in his wound and mm -hmm. his, his face. Um, the girl walking with the violin case who's, uh, you know, stacked like an IHOP on Tuesday. 
you know, and and her her screaming like a hag for the fuzz. Um, you know, all the whole sequence at Haymarket Square and the dude getting his face blown off into a uh, puff of cloud like he got shot by Elmer Fudd. And then even at the end when it gets serious and, uh, you know, he shoots down the helicopter and guns everybody down and throws the money into the uh, into the harbor. So I'm going to give the art a solid B. I really enjoy it. It's unlike this. This particular book art wise is unlike any other book that I have in my collection. <clears throat> the story um, like I said, it's pretty standard uh, guy out for revenge, but there's a couple of funny gags in it. At um, you know, when Target goes to the back to the dorm room for the second time, and somebody pulls a another gun, person pulls a gun on him, he goes, "Oh man, this is where I came in." <laughs> so there's some there's some little funny bits in here, considering the nature of the story that uh, that made me laugh. So I can't. It's not a great story, but I'm gonna give it a C plus because it's an average story, but it does some cute things. So. A B plus, a B, and a C plus, I guess that averages out to a, as we say on Back to the Bins, a solid B. What did you guys think? You and me, Bill. Uh, I'll go. The, yeah, the... Who could oh, argue uh, with Bill needs a reboot. Bill needs a reboot. Oh, he's locked up. Uh... <laughs> Get you a blue shirt. He's a blue street. <laughs> He's got the blue street of death. Uh, wow! I, I just realized that that was a cro- that's like some type of spear gun that they were shooting at him. Yeah, yeah. on the cover. It is like a Bond. Yeah. Wait a minute. How many guns does he have? He still has a gun in his holster, and he's got a gun in his hand. Yeah. He's prepared. And he's so, got a knife too. I got a knife. Well, you that's see, a... well, if you look, he does have he does have a hip holster and a shoulder holster. Oh, you're right. I do see that there now. What yeah, was that in the uh... In the naked gun, he's got a gun, he's got a knife, he's got herpes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy, like, comes at him, he's trying to kiss him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, for the cover, I like, I'm, I'm, I'm turning my head to the side like a dog, because I'm trying to look at the cover, because it's tilted at the Batman 66, you know. It's a skew. It's a skew. Yeah. So, but uh, I do like that, and I'm going to give this cover, just for the crisp and cleanness of the art, I'm going to give it like a B plus, A minus. The interior art, it's it's a back and forth. I'm going to have to give the interior art, it's going to have to come down in the middle at the C plus range. A few of them bring them up, although the, the... the jughead behind, you know, finding the files behind the the boxes is kind of. Uh, but the story, the story is is good. It, um, maybe not that original, but uh, but it is, you know, it's 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 like a step above like your crime noir. So I'm I, I'm gonna give it an overall B minus. Okay, I guess that leaves it to me. Uh... I like the cover. I think it's pretty solid. I think it's... I I guess having it askew kind of gives it that energy. So it does serve a purpose. Um, It's not great, but it's not bad at all. So I'm going to say a B on the cover. The interior art is so, so all over the map that I I can't give it a really high grade, although there are parts of it that are pretty good. So I'm going to kind of balance it out with saying the inconsistency brings it down, the good stuff brings it up, and then we end up at a C because it has both. And story-wise, as you said, it's nothing 
particularly original, but it's kind of well done, well put together. Uh, I'm going to say a C plus for the story, and overall, I'll give the book a C plus. And that's well, it. That's the only book we're doing tonight. So if you hate email, then uh, then you may not want to listen to us anymore because we're going to read a couple of emails for everybody. Good night, everybody. Good <laughs> night, everybody. Uh, just one thing, one last thing, real quick. I under I, the the scan doesn't have the ads, but there was one ad in here that made me think of of you, Paul. And it is an ad for the Planet of the Apes eight inch tall all plastic snap together hobby kits from Aurora, featuring Doctor Zayas. Caesar, General Ursus, General Aldo, Zira, and Cornelius. I know that uh, you know you're you're a Aurora model enthusiast, just like myself, my brother, and some other folks on the network. So seeing that one specifically for the Planet of the Apes uh, kits, you know, which would be very timely in 1974, 1975, made me think of you. Thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, I <laughs> I had those. Uh, I still I actually have a Cornelius in the box downstairs that I need to put together and paint. What's in the box? Oh, sorry. I've had yeah. several models sitting in the boxes downstairs waiting, but uh, you know that's uh, yeah. I, I I love those. Oh yeah, I've got a uh, I've got a, a resin sea view on my desk up in my bonus room. It's it's been puttied. It needs to be sanded and uh, cleaned up before I can paint. But you know, and I'm gonna put it. I've got this big giant squid that's gonna be attacking it because that's what happens oh. every day on sea view stuff. So. <laughs> No, they run into like a bunch of bubbles that makes the whole ship rock back and forth. Yeah, telling you, man, we got to do that voyage at the bottom of the sea cast. Voyage to the bottom of the sea cast. You heard it here first. We said it online, so it must be true now. <laughs> All right. Uh, you want me to do this first one, Bill? Oh, uh, yeah, because I got to get back to the page. Okay. First email is from Mr. Kyle Benning, and it is titled "Episode 253 Feedback." Another great episode. The mark of a truly great episode of Bins is to cause me to either dive through my very poorly organized comics to reread the issues you've covered, or to head to eBay or the local comic shop in search of them. Well, mission accomplished, you bastards. A few, <laughs> a few months back when I was looking through the baseball card aisle at my local Walmart, there's a baseball card aisle? That's cool. Yeah, yeah actually, if you go... They're usually at the front, usually. Yeah, so in the front, it's usually one of the checkout lanes will have the baseball cards and the like collectible card games. Like if you want to buy Magic oh, the Gathering. Oh, okay, but it's just, a co- just like a small area. It's not a whole aisle. Yeah, it's okay. usually like dead, yeah. dead center of the aisles, like right in the middle of all the aisles. The checkout lanes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's what I meant. And then there'll, there'll be like, you know, the little bobblehead dolls and all kinds of little collectible crap there. Okay. I stumbled across a bunch of comic multi-packs for $5, so I picked up a few of them, and one of the packs contained West Coast Avengers number 18, where the West Coast Avengers were thrust back in time in the Old West and met up with with Two-Gun. This issue may have been the single most fun and entertaining comic I have ever read. Naturally, it mentioned Two-Gun and Hawkeye's friendship and Two-Gun's time spent with the Avengers in the present. So I've been trying to track down all those issues so I can read them all. If they're halfway as good as WCA number 18, then they'll be well worth it. So Scott's story from Marvel Tales 100 would definitely fall into that category and be worth picking up. I had no idea it even existed, so thank you for bringing it to my attention. As Scott was mentioning, most Marvel reprints in the 60s and 70s did undergo serious edits. Many times panels were cut so that the reprinted stories could be produced a full one to two pages shorter than the original stories. 
Throughout the Silver and Bronze Age, to combat rising costs, publishers kept the cover price the same, but reduced the page count. Obviously, that posed a bit of a problem when you're a reprint series and have a pre-existing story that is longer. They did this on many of their Treasury comic reprints. Marvel Treasury No. 2, which featured the Fantastic Four, reprinted the Galactus Saga, which was re-edited by Roy Thomas and had panels cut to make the story supposedly flow better and fit the page count parameters. Was I being buzzed out of here? <laughs> Sorry. No, no. no, that was Dr. I Bill's know what it laundry. was. As archaic as this process sounds of cutting stuff from stories when reprinting them, uh, it was practice used by both B- DC and Marvel all the way into the late 1990s for trade paperbacks. Many collected editions from that era were severely edited to trim down the page count. On to Hawk and Dove. The name Scott was looking for is Monarch. He was the evil entity in the future that had enslaved mankind. The big reveal was supposed to be Captain Adam. They changed it at the last minute to Hawk, even though this contradicted the Hawk and Dove annual that clearly showed that he wasn't Monarch. The way Armageddon 2001 event worked was that all the annuals that year had Wave Rider going in and touching the heroes and seeing their future. Uh, For characters like Superman who had multiple books, there were multiple possible futures. Paul was right. The evil Hank did return for Zero Hour, now going by the name Extant. He was the puppet big bad heroes fought before finally realizing that the true threat was Parallax. Post-crisis... What's that? Are you sure that was an Extant? Uh, Quite possibly. Oh, okay. I always thought it was Extant. Uh, In Brooklyn, it's Extant. I don't know where it is anywhere else. I'll have to get a a ruling from Andy Leyland on the pronunciation. Oh, no, but then he'll add a U in there. Yep. Yeah. It'll be extuant. It'll be extuant. <laughs> Post-crisis, there was a new dove, so there was still the peaceful balance to the team. So while I like Scott's theory, there was still the peaceful dove influence there to counterbalance to Hawk's aggression. Speaking of the post-crisis series, it's not very good. I was going to do a Netflix-style podcast covering the entire series and drop it in one big chunk this past year on April Fool's Day. And it was so bad that I just couldn't get through it. Who knows, maybe 2017. Great episode, as always. Keep them coming. Kyle Benning of the King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, and Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour podcasts. P.S. FYI, there is a blog run by my pal Clinton Robeson covering the Armageddon 2001 crossover. You can find it here, and there's a link to Armageddon 2001 Revisited. And that's the end of Kyle's letter. Thank you for that, Kyle. And thanks for the history lesson, because we were discussing this stuff in the in the episode, and it's kind of good to have it clarified for us. Mm-hmm. I want now wasn't I want to say that the reason why it was changed to Captain uh, from Captain Adam to Hawk was that it was leaked that that was the big reveal of the series that it was going to be Captain Adam, and so they kind of did it as like a, a last minute thing. Is I, I think I read that in like. Um, <clears throat> comics book comic book resource or yeah comic book resources.com does uh comic book urban legends i think i want to say that was one i read there that it was all intents and purposes was going to be captain adam but then it, it somebody leaked it to the nascent uh, comic book press and it was all over the place like i guess on the fanzines and stuff and so they had to change it yeah i remember hearing something similar to that so that that could well be true it could also be apocryphal i'm not sure <laughs> You want to take the next one, Bill, or are you still not sure. open yet? No, no, no. I'm here. I got it. And it is from Russell Bragg. And I must say that this time, uh, 
This time, Russell is just smoking Kirk. Oh, man, he's beating you hard, buddy. We got seven emails in here from him, and we got nothing from you. Nothing. Get on it, buddy. <laughs> See, we're trying to get them. You know, we need to throw them. We need to play the, the Star Trek fight music and have them going at it. Anyway, subject. It is a, for it is a comment. Uh, DC Comics presents annual number one Superman and Golden Age Superman, or a visit from Back to the Bins. And it comes from Russell Bragg, our buddy. And it says, hi, guys, you can read this on the show if you want to. Well, we are. It is a comment I got from your visit to the DC Comics Presents show. I don't know if you got any comments on your end, but I thought you'd want to read it. Once again, thanks for being on my show and for making it so much fun. And the comment I didn't get that any he... comments on my end. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. When this comment came you know, from... Oh, I didn't see comments either, so... Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shoot me later. Yeah. And this came from, uh, this was a comment left by Dave, oh, geez, McGelvinney? McGelvinney? I love just hearing you flounder. <laughs> Dave McElevin. I, I would think probably Dave McElvaney. McElvaney. But I could be wrong. I don't know. That's how I would Mac- try it. McElvaney, McElvaney. Well, this comment came from Dave. It says, a wonderful episode. Thank you. This annual is one of my very favorite issues of DC Comics Presents. I really enjoy the old DC multiverse and particularly any meeting between the Superman of Earths 1 and 2. Throw in multiple Luthors and I'm thrilled. I think it was great, too, that you guys had guests Paul Spataro and Bill Robinson. (sighs) Sorry. up my throat don't get me wrong i love your solo episodes but i found that many of my favorite episodes of podcasts involve conversations between or among people or inanimate objects oh wait that's what i do sorry i think it's more natural for the host to have direct back and forth conversations than to have a sort of imagined conversation with an unseen unheard listener it's also fun for the listener because it's obvious that the three of you were enjoying yourselves and your conversation. I must say the presentation of Earth 3's Ultraman as Arnold Schwarzenegger was brilliant and hilarious. <laughs> for next episode, I'm certainly looking forward to a team up between Superman and Clark Kent. That should be a treat. I'm also looking forward to hearing how you mark the halfway point of the series. Thanks again for a super episode of a super show. And that wraps that one up. And uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, U- Ultraman is Arnold. Yeah, come on, Ultraman. I would but just say, always... just I would just comment that it was a lot of fun to go on the show oh, with yeah. Russell. And we've talked about going back on the show, and I definitely would like to. Uh, you know, time allowing—that's always the problem. It's just finding the time where we could all do it. Mm-hmm. It's always fun when you guest on a show and then get feedback from. <clears throat> Uh, listeners who may not be listening to your show, you know, mm-hmm. like like when I get, um, you know, uh, like if I do a guest spot on on like on Back to the Bins, and there'll be people. There's a lot of folks, a whole lot of folks that listen to Back to the Bins that don't listen to Earth Destruction Directive. So it's always fun to get feedback and uh, you know comments when you're doing something outside of your ordinary work, you know. Well, and uh, you know, I mean, that is part of the process of guesting on shows and having guests on shows. Is, you know, we do it because we enjoy each other's company and it's fun. But one of the side benefits is gaining exposure. 
Yeah. You know, it, it and, is and it not, is nice to hopefully exposure that'll get you in trouble with the Tampa police. Right? Say, exactly. But the, you hope to be heard by some exposure. people who don't already listen to your show and say, Hey, that guy sounded interesting or he sounded like a buffoon I'd be interested in hearing. You know, whatever the hey, case may be. Why do I think I'm why do I think you're alluding to me? Well, you know the the thing, and, and again, I, I'll just let me make one comment, and you guys can get back to the email here. But the one that I've I've heard a couple of times is, you know, I'll get an email and said, "Hey, I listened to such and such episode of Earth Destruction Directive. It was my first episode. You know, I'm not really a fan of Godzilla or giant monsters, but I heard you on this other show and thought I'd check it out. And it's like, you know, it's it's especially, I mean, the stuff we do, it, it's funny because all the stuff that we talk about is all niche, but some things are more niche than other things are niche, you know. You're, mm-hmm. do, you're doing a podcast on Two True Freaks about comics. You're pretty well in the general main wheelhouse of Two True Freaks, you know. Uh, so it's it's just, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's just it's funny, and I, I always enjoy doing this. That's why I like doing stuff like this, just to get out and let other people hear uh, hear my stuff and, and get some other opinions on it, you know, and say, hey, maybe if you want to hear something about monsters, you can listen to my show. But if not, eh, that's okay. I don't mind. I think I think Russell is actually the prime example of of the guy who comes out of his niche to listen to the show because more often than not he says yeah I was listening to the show I have no familiarity with the character you were talking about but I love the show <laughs> yeah so you know we I always appreciate that Russell keeps coming back to listen to us even though he's not always familiar with what we're talking about and you yeah. know that's that's always a just a you know terrific compliment and I always appreciate it. And it's always cool to get somebody interested in something from you talking about it. You know? Yes. When, when we talk about something and we think it's good and we make that clear in the, in the show, and then somebody says, oh, based on you guys talking about it, I went out and bought the Omnibus for $50 and it sucked. I hated it. You know, that, that, <laughs> that, that hurts a little. <laughs> but when they tell me, you know, that, that I bought it and I loved it and I'm glad you got me to buy it, then, then that's nice. Yeah, especially if they use the Two True Freaks link. For Amazon.com. Plug, plug. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, just be glad Jay's not on here. Jay, Jay monetizes uh, the vault so well. It's, it's, he's so much better than the rest of us to monetize it. <laughs> anyway. I'm but uh, moving on to the next email, which is also from Russell. Uh, back to the bins 253, Little Intern Ernie. Uh, hello, hey, fellows. Man. Great show as always. I hope I don't give you guys a swelled head every time I say that. Absolutely, you do. First of all, I think little intern, little Ernie Chan intern is a keeper. Maybe he and Arnold can have a conversation sometime. I didn't have either book, but what classic titles you had this time around. Marvel Tales and Showcase. I didn't realize it until I looked it up, but this was the second time the title Marvel Tales had a 100th issue. Back in 1950, Marvel Tales back then was all about strange stories. It ran a total of 159 issues until 1957. I mostly remember this particular Marvel Tales issue as the issue after Green Goblin's death. Did Hawkeye and Two-Gun have a history with the Marvel, with Marvel Tales? No, they didn't. Uh, as to why they had a story in this historic 100th issue, I, we, we think it was just a... Uh, we need some space. Fill it. Yeah, we think it was a story that they had in, in sitting in the drawer waiting to be printed. As for Showcase, I don't remember if this comic was strictly first appearances, but the most notable issues were The Flash, number 4, Green Lantern, number 22, and Power Girl, number 97, to name a few. I don't know too much about Hawk and Dove, but I'm pretty sure the only books I would have is from Crisis on Infinite Earths. Thanks for the great coverage of these books. 
Before I close, I'd like to thank Scott for identifying a movie quote for me. That famous Wizard of Oz quote, put six bullets in him and he's still alive. Wait a minute, that wasn't from the Wizard of Oz. That was the Godfather, wasn't it? You can't trick me, Scott Gardner. Think I'll end on that note. Thank you for keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. <laughs> ah, we can't, we can't put one over on you. Or that was, that was that that '80s version of, uh, of of the Wizard of Oz, you know, that had Charles Bronson in it as the Tin Man. Wasn't it? <laughs> Oil can. Oil can. <laughs> I'm gonna go fix Otis. Oh. <laughs> what happened to Emmett? He's not in the cell. <laughs> I had to go fix him. <sighs> Tony Katane as Dorothy. Whoa. <laughs> Can I be Toto? Well, I remember hearing the story Kate about Tony Katane was basket? married uh, to, uh, was it Chuck Finley, the uh, pitcher on the uh, Angels, I think it was? And they had a fight, and she put the heel of her high heel shoe through his foot. Ooh. So she, she did have a touch of a temper from what I understand. Hmm. Well, you know anyway, what they say about the crazy ones. <laughs> they say they're crazy. They say they're crazy and get away from them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, let me see. Next email. Oh, thank you again, Russell, as always. Uh, but on to the next email. And it comes from... Uh, wait, this was forwarded. It comes from Richard Shannon. And it's uh, and it is uh, subject a suggestion for you. Dear Bins Crew, I'd like to suggest you do a special theme show for Veterans Day, which will probably have to be next year <laughs> by now. Um, uh, since Scott and Dr. Bill are vets. Thank you for your service, by the way, Dr. Bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, was it was an honor and a, and a pleasure. And I was able to buy many, many comic books while I was in uh, in there because I had no overhead could spend 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 but um, how about a show where those two review a war comic uh, now I know that I know that's a genre that most people don't care f uh, don't care for and the war comics from the Silver Age aren't very interesting but if you do decide to do this type of show here are some examples of books that Bill and Scott might find worthy the Marvel book the Nam was excellent which we actually have uh, Tom Panarese covered that. As, yep. I believe he's done. He, he has no, covered he's that. Done, okay, done, that's right. Tom's just on hiatus. He is, uh, the plan is to do the entire uh, series. And um, spoilers, I have recorded an episode with Tom where we talk about one of the seminal uh, Vietnam films. Uh, I'm not going to spoil exactly what it was, but it, it, let's just say it had some successful sequels also. Um, but yes, the NOM is covered uh, on In Country. Tom is just on hiatus at the moment with that. Okay. Uh, especially the first 20 to 36 issues. DC did a Sergeant Rock miniseries in 2007 that was written and drawn by Billy Tucci that was very good as well. And lastly, uh, while... Again, sorry to jump in again. That is The Lost Battalion. Uh, and that is a story about the, the Nisei, about the uh, Japanese-American, uh, uh, I think they, what were they, a battalion that was um, called in to rescue the Lost Battalion that was stuck in the uh, fighting the German mountain troops based on a true story. Um, Tucci did extensive research on that, including embedding himself with a group of World War II reenactors. He embedded himself as the like the staff cartoonist, like for Stars and Stripes. Oh. And Tucci is a big supporter of veterans. When I met him a couple of years ago at Heroes Con, um, the, all of the proceeds, uh, they, they were asking for donations for signing books, him and a few of the guys from his studio. 
all of it were going to Wounded Warrior and to other uh, veterans assistance charities. And they would give out, if, if for anyone who came and saw them and, and donated, they would give them a red poppy to wear as well. So uh, The Lost Battalion comes highly recommended. Excellent book. I have that uh, series autographed by Billy. Mm. Yeah, I do. Billy, Billy yeah. lives out here on the island, uh, and he, he's a common uh, guest at local shows. So yeah. uh, he, he's a great guy. When I saw him at Heroes Con, I told him that. I said that I recommend Lost Battalion literally to anyone who will listen if we're talking war comics. He, he really seemed genuinely touched by it. He's a, just a really good guy, like you say, Paul. He, uh, he has a, a graphic novel. I have a hardcover version of it that I also had Billy sign for me uh, of uh, the tale of the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the art in it is phenomenal. And one of the shows he was at, he actually had the original art pages, which I could not afford. But uh, no. <laughs> it was it was just it was just great to page through and look at it, mm. and see especially the scene, you know the the actual nativity scene. So much detail in there. I, I was looking at it and I started asking him about different things about it, and you know he he was he was willing to discuss it, but a little uh, like he didn't want to brag kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Did you ask him why he put Mr. T in there? I don't think he did. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I guess I was reading the wrong book. And lastly, Wildstorm Comics did a miniseries called Storming Paradise. I, I, would you like me to talk about that one, too? That's, uh... <laughs> no, I, I had a, a, a break in the email. It's a, it, yeah. it's a what-if story about the invasion of Japan. Hmm. You got any yeah, that was, that? I think the art in that was by Jackson Geis, I want to say. Chuck Dixon and Jackson Geis, I think, did that one. Good, cool series. If you're going to tell the story of the U.S. having to invade Japan in six issues, Chuck Dixon's a guy I want to tell that story. So. Uh, this is a request on a subject that doesn't get a lot of coverage on podcasts because Veterans Day is an overlooked holiday in today's times. So do this old vet a solid and try your best to make this episode happen. Thanks and looking forward to your next show, Richard Shannon. Well, I apologize that we were not able to do anything this year. But last year, uh, I don't remember if Scott was on the episode, but we did an episode. I did an episode with Professor Allen where we uh, he got three veterans and they each did a section of a Blackhawk comic. Um, and I know we did that last year. I can't remember if Scott was in that one or not. Um, so you could look for that. Um, and, and maybe in, in the future, next time around, we will we will try to plan ahead and yeah. see what we can do. Yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago, I had I had tried to start a a, a, a hashtag for November for on my comics blog and with all the other comics bloggers that I worked with, which was hashtag War Comics Month, just to cover War Comics all through the month of November. And and like I said I it wasn't unfortunately not as successful as I would have hoped. And you know, like you say, there's a lot of there's not a whole lot of fans of War Comics nowadays. It's it's a genre that's very very kind of niche, almost passe in a lot of sense. And doesn't get a lot of attention, and when it does, a lot of times it's fairly negative attention that these older books get, uh, because some of them are, you know, uh, every stereotype you've heard are kind of jingoistic and, uh, you know, um, treating war like an adventure. But a lot, especially the DC ones, were not like that. You know, Joe Orlando and his crew of guys that worked on those books, they were all vets. You know, you think of the 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 um, you know the, the guys that you normally think of as your uh, DC war guys, like Joe Kubert and Bob Kaniger. And I uh, said so Joe Orlando and uh, Russ Heath and those guys, they were vets themselves. So they knew a lot of this stuff firsthand. So 
a lot of those books, I think, hold up really well. Tom Pandrews and I did a episode on war comics for his 80 years of DC Comics history, where we talk about DC's uh, war comics output. So, yeah, I'm totally down with that. I, I agree on all fronts about Veterans Day itself and about the war comic genre in particular. So I'm down with that. Thank you very much for that comment, even though it wasn't directed to me. <laughs> Our next email is also from Richard Shannon. And I'm sure it's titled something, but I don't know. Oh, it's titled Episode 251. Dear Paul, Dr. Bill, and Scott, just finished listening to Episode 251, and I'm curious if the background music used during the Sleepwalker story that Chris Hero did was an instrumental version of the Beatles song, I'm Only Sleeping. Uh, yeah, that was what it was. It was a karaoke version of it. If so, please enlighten me with your selection process of music to be used for the episode you guys record. I got a real kick out of that one. Also, I would like to volunteer my services for the movie podcast that you're putting together. Once again, I enjoy the show. Richard Shannon. Um, yeah, private message me on what you're interested in doing for the movie podcast. I'd be interested in hearing. Uh, as far as the movie, as far as the music in there, uh, I pretty much have free reign on the music that we end up using. And I try to find stuff that I think is either going to emphasize the story that we're doing or that might be ironic or amusing. Uh, whenever Hero does a sleepwalker story, I try to do sleeping kind of music. I do I'm Only Sleeping by the Beatles. I'll do Dream On by Aerosmith. I'll do Dreams by uh, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, things of that nature. And then, yeah, you know, I'll I'll send you a copy of Sleepwalker by Megadeth you can use. <laughs> is, is, is it a, uh, a karaoke version? Because I try generally to have stuff without actual singing because I find wow. that that would be distracting to listen to in the background. Once in a while, something goes in there with, with actual vocals, but I try to avoid it as much as I can. Uh, often I'll put in, uh, you know, scores from, you know, theme music from movies and that type of thing if it's something that I can find that I think is fitting. And, uh, you know, whatever I can find that I, like I said, that I think kind of fits. I'm sure sometimes I do well and sometimes I do really not so well. Uh, and I guess, you know, you guys can let me know if I, 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 I actually would like to know mostly if I put on something that you say, oh, that was terrible, just because I don't want to keep doing that. So if you point out to me mistakes, I'd be interested in knowing. Ah, uh, you're the best, man. Oh, yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's like the the when I did the issue of uh, Godzilla where he fights the champions in San Francisco. I literally just included every song I could think of that it mentioned or had San Francisco in the title or had to do with San Francisco. See, whereas I so, would be putting you know, a karaoke version of We Are the Champions. Well, yeah, well, you know, there you go. I I mean, but I had I had uh, How Soon Is Now by Love Spit Now, Love Spit Love, because that was the theme to Charmed, which took place in San Francisco. I had we, you know, the 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 song from uh, the Towering Inferno. I had I left my heart in San Francisco. You know, <laughs> San Francisco Blues by Chris Isaac. And did, did you, you have, have the, the streets of so streets San Francisco? Yes, I did have streets of um, San Francisco. <laughs> did you have the nineteen sixties or early seventies song San Francisco? Yes, San Francisco. Yeah, I can't think of what the name of the singer was off the top of my head. I had to look that one up, but yes, I did. I also had the theme song from Shag when I had those bikini girls on that one time. <laughs> but that's you know that's part of the fun is trying to find a song that you think is going to yeah. fit, or you know sometimes it's really simple. You know, if we're doing an Iron Man comic, a lot of times I'll just go to the Iron Man score and put something from that. 
usually when yeah. I pick music, it takes me forever, which is why I don't do a lot of editing anymore because it takes me forever. But one I was really proud of was when we did, I believe it was the um, uh, when the the Masters of Evil were taking over Avengers Mansion, and I played uh, uh, some nice German progressive metal, Romstein. I actually, when when you have edited episodes, <laughs> I do very much like the job you do editing them. Uh, the pro- the problem, as you said, is just that you know you you become a little bit of a perfectionist, and that often leads to okay i'll have it in a couple of weeks and usually we don't have a couple of weeks to wait to post the next episode i become the stanley kubrick of editing <laughs> so you know it, it's a double-edged sword you know you can be a perfectionist and you know i think you can hear the hear the quality of that perfectionism in the final product but you know we we have jobs we have lives we have families and sometimes you know it's a matter of just getting it done and i don't have the time sometimes to be quite the perfectionist I would like to be, but you know, if and when you know Disney contacts me and says we love what you're doing in this po- podcasting, we would like you to do it for a living, and we will match your salary you make in your regular job for doing it. <laughs> then I promise you, I will put a lot more care and attention and time into doing it just right. May it soon come. <laughs> yes. Do so you think we have time for another mail or no? Uh, yeah, we'll do one more. And it comes from, we're going to round out the night with da, 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 Russell Bragg, puppy power. No, oh, no, that's just, sorry, <laughs> Russell, I'm not calling you a puppy. Uh, and it is Back to the Bins 255, 2016 Horror Month, week one. Hey, guys, great show as always. I'm glad you are devoting another October to horror. It's a great concept. I am sure the month will be gone by the time you read this, and you were correct. <laughs> but, <laughs> Although nope, we did read I, it before nope. the month was over, it's just the month was over before we read it on the air. But I'm just as happy with the randomness of the books you bring to the table. You already devoted Har Month to various monsters last year, so I don't really know. I so I didn't really know what else you could do. And well, I just want to stop for a second. We we did kind of. I I don't want to say we kind of haphazardly threw it together, but last year we had a plan. You know, we thought everything out, and and then as we were talking, it was kind of like well. I don't want to, you know, didn't really want to do vampires, werewolves. So we, we kind of just went out and just, like you said, we kind of randomly did it a little different this year. Which, what, we had Giants, right? We did the Revenge of the Well, well the, our Giants was one giant book, Revenge of the <laughs> yeah, well, well, it was the big book. Our War of the Worlds <laughs> episode was one book, War of the Worlds, Superman War of the Worlds. <laughs> So, yeah, okay. Ghost was just you and I. Um, yeah, we did the two. I did the Silver Surfer Ghost book. Space. And... We did Space Horror, yeah, which really one of them wasn't even really horror. Oh, it was but, horror. Uh, but, but the horror. horror. But, if, but horror. we got a lot of laughs. <laughs> you cube. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a cube. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the only, getting back to the email, the only idea I had was if there were comic adaptations to any horror movies, such as Friday the 13th. And maybe you can answer that, Mr. Jack and Eddie. Um, as far as stuff that we'd see on Back to the Bins, eh, that, that, there's a few. The one that immediately jumped to my mind as you said that is that Marvel actually did an oversized um, uh, adaptation of the 1970s Island of Dr. Moreau, which is pretty neat. I know it had a Gil Kane cover. I'm not sure about the interior art. Uh, I, 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 don't, I, I think I had that long time I think ago. I, I have, have it. it. Oh, it's, it's not bad. 
And actually, what's funny is uh, that that's featured on the opening of my brother's podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I know, I know. Back to the every, house of pain. Every time I hear it, because that's I believe that's Richard Basehart. Yes, because he was. Well, it's uh, also is that that was the uh, that is from House of Pain's first album, which was a big deal to my brother and I growing up. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's a shoot, by the way. That's legit. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as the kind of stuff we'd normally cover on normally cover on Back to the Bins, there's not a whole lot, but I'm, there is some of them. Like we, I know that it's been discussed. There was one for Jaws two. You know, um, uh, there's definitely been comics series for Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, those types of films mm-hmm. with uh, usually dubious publishing records. But uh, they do exist out there. I know Wildstorm did those in the 2000s. They had a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which was actually pretty cool, and a Friday the 13th that was pretty cool as well. And um, who was it was putting out Halloween? I forget. One publisher was putting out a Halloween series, and they, they stopped publishing it midway through the miniseries. <laughs> Like, oops, that sucks. <laughs> we never got the end of that story. The, the death, the, the, what, the last death of Laurie Strode or something like that. We never got the end of it. And maybe it really was the last death. of. Yeah. Um, uh, so to pick back up, yeah, so such as Friday the 13th or the Universal movies with Dracula, Frankenstein, etc. Um, without research, I wouldn't know how many that might be, but it's a thought. But as I said, by the time you read this, you'll have already have your format in place. Maybe I'm giving you ideas for next October. I think Maybe. I mentioned last. <laughs> I think I mentioned last year that I didn't have any horror comics in my collection. That has not changed to this year. But I enjoyed your talking about the comics you brought to the table. Personally, I thought Doctor Bill's comic was the scariest, even uh, e- even if it is implausible. If I thought my wife had an ex-boyfriend slash fiance that died without getting over her, I'd hate uh, to, to get in that way of the undead corpse, especially near the ocean or whatever. <laughs> but Paul's was good, too. It just didn't scare me as much. Well, yeah, you haven't seen Paul, so. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Scott will be able to join you guys before the month is up. I was really hoping he would be there so I could hear his reaction my reaction about the flash tv show during your reading of email i guess you can't force someone to like something so i won't even try but it is an excellent show and i agree uh how about you guys oh uh, you know i the love flash it. yeah uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan yeah I'm a, all caught I'm, up? I'm a, i am not all caught up i'm okay. sorry we've been trying to get caught up on the the problem is is that um you know we, we watch all the cw shows online so mm-hmm. you know we we end up falling behind a couple of weeks and then binging and getting caught up. We fall behind a couple of weeks and binging and caught up. So we were watching Supergirl and then Legends, and uh, then today we were watching Arrow. So Flash is next on the queue, kind of thing. So, um, I but yeah, but I I generally enjoy the show quite a bit. They, they I, I I think it's funny that you see stuff on there which is clearly Silver Age stuff, and then mm-hmm. every now and again they'll throw a modern character in there, you yeah. know. Which, or, is, which is great, or like I've a been, modern concept with the whole Flash right. thing. Yeah, like I, I've been reading, I've been reading Flash pretty much nonstop since the Wade Augustin run in the '90s. So mm-hmm. I've been there through, you know, Wade Augustin, Jeff Johns, you know, Jeff Johns relaunching the book, then uh, Manipool, and now with um, then with uh, Van Jensen and uh, Rob Venditti, and now the, the current team. So I've been reading Flash for a long time for my lifetime. So it's cool seeing all the different stuff all mixed up in there, you know, I agree. Totally. I mean, I like all the seat up shows, so I'm not, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just being naive. I've been a little down on arrow the last season and a half or so, but I still, I'm sticking with it. Cause I'm hoping it kind of comes out of the doldrums. 
I've liked it this season more because I think getting rid of the stuff, getting rid of the soapy stuff with uh, with Oliver and Felicity has helped quite a bit with it. It's a and and they focused, focused a little less on the flashbacks, which is also a plus. As far as I'm well, this concerned. is the last year of them. They said they 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 said that if, you know this is the last one because now he'll be caught up because it's been Good. five years. Did Good you watch enough already? Did you watch? Uh, was it maybe it was last week? I'm not sure. Um, with uh, oh, I can't think of the hours the actor's name now. I'm drawing a blank. He was Ivan Drago. Oh, Dolph yeah. yeah. I have not seen that one yet. No. Last mm-hmm. one I saw was the one with Human Target. Oh, okay, okay. Like well, I'm one. I'll, I'll be quiet then. That's <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I guess. Uh, well, I guess I've rambled on enough. Hmm. Yep, that's the rambling. email. That's not. That's not uh, me saying that. But uh, I'm sure the rest of Horror Month will be just as good, and I look forward to it. Thank you for keeping me entertained, Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. And I believe, unless we want to do one more, I believe that rounds out the email. Yeah, I think that'll do it for this time. We'll read some more next time. Thank you for everybody just, sending in your stuff. Yeah. I just yes, want to say that, uh, um, you know, Russell said he doesn't have any horror books in his collection. If you're a nascent horror comic fan and you want to get some stuff, I totally recommend tracking down some reprints of old EC books. I mean, it's it's a cliched answer. You know, go 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 find reprints of the to- uh, Tales from the Crypt, the Vault of Horror, and the Haunt of Fear. But there's a reason why those are the best known, most beloved horror comics of all time. And there's a lot of reprint options. Um, I think it was uh, um, Russ Cochran reprinted them for a while. Gemstone reprinted them for a while. Gladstone reprinted them for a while. You can get hardcover uh, black and white, hardcover color ones. There's soft cover color ones. There's all sorts of stuff. If you dig into that, you can find reprints of those, and they are great. They are just all anthologies, just a typical what you expect, anthology stories hosted by, you know, the Crypt Keeper, the Vault Keeper, and the Old Witch, and just some great art and great, you know, little eight-page ironic, you know, ironic punishment division of Hell Labs type stories. So. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well. I'm, just, I, I'm, I'm sorry, just throwing that out there. <laughs> no, it, oh it's, no, no, no. It's, it's I think it's good information. Yeah, but but I think I think we've just hit the. Uh, I just think we've hit the end. <laughs> yes. So the, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody who wrote in, and uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, Luke, for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for having me, guys. I found the key to being on Back to the Bins is not writing in and saying, hopefully I'll be on Back to the Bins again soon. <laughs> the more you ask to be on, the less likely you are to be on. And you guys were like, well, Luke's never be on again. Never on again. I'm like, oh, I'm too eager, damn it. <laughs> I feel like, uh, what's his name, Waltz in The Godfather. Yeah. As long as I'm alive, he's never on this show. <laughs> <laughs> See, I feel and like, just to make uh, just to let you know that I'm not a hard guy. She was beautiful. <laughs> I always think of what's his name from uh, Bronx Tale. Stick his ass in the bathroom. In the bathroom. Yeah, stick his ass you, in the bathroom. You got to say it the right way. It's bathroom. <laughs> he's the, he's the, the the mokes. Yeah. Or the the mush. That's what they call him. The mush. Because he mush just brought them bad the... luck. Put him in the bathroom. And, and, and Frankie the Whale, you didn't walk with him, you walked among them. <laughs> are, are we out yet? Uh, I think we're going out if we're not. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I was just going to ask if you guys had seen uh, uh, 
How cut up are you on, uh, uh, yeah, Luke Cage? Because I just finished it this weekend. Oh, I'm finished. Oh, Luke? I finished it before uh, oh, no, we did Luke, the show. Luke's the one that's, that's behind. I, right? I, haven't, yeah, I haven't watched it, so I'm sorry. Uh, there was a line that made me just stand up, and I was like, yes! And it was, uh, it's about the middle of the series. There's a character that, it's like his first in, introduction to the show, but he's been mentioned. And he just comes on, and he goes... Can you dig it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, that's from the Warriors. And then Luke Cage e- 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 even says, because he knows who it is once the guy says it. But I was like, man, what? Like, it, that's not the original actor. It can't be. The guy would have to be, you know. But I was just, but the way he said it and everything was just awesome. Can yeah, you cool. dig it? <laughs> I'm a big fan of that movie. That movie's awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <sighs> But I'm gonna Especially, go to bed. <laughs> just one one thing. Have you guys seen the the DVD release of that, where it has the the intro that uh, Hill wanted to do on it but couldn't afford to do back in the '80s? Mm-mm. No. Where it's got like the comic book style art as the intro. No, I don't think I ever saw that. Yeah, if you get it on DVD, it's got it. Where he's got a little narration that he does at the beginning, and it's it's drawn like comic panels. And then certain times in the film, there'll be where they transition from one scene to the next. It'll look, it'll it'll change to like a drawn panel and then move to the next panel. Sounds like a creep show. Yeah, it actually, it's very much like creep show. Walter Hill mm. had always said he wanted Warriors to be a comic because he always said it was a comic book style story. And so now he kind of, they kind of spiked it up a little bit on the DVD. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Maybe Warriors will be on as a job. Possibly. Mm. If it is, possibly it will be on with you. Sounds good to me, guys. <laughs> All right, guys. I've, I'm 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 worn out. I'm going to bed. But uh, thanks again for coming yep. on. Oh, oh, thank you. Me, guys. Talk to you soon. All right. See you later. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Oh, sorry, I was eating a Pop-Tart. <laughs> <laughs>